Florence and the Machine, shake it off, gang. Shake it off. That's what I feel like after impeachment week that uh, I just got to shake it all off. And we'll be talking more about impeachment uh, later this morning. Let me tell you about our lineup for the day, gang. So we're starting out with Rich uh, Ferraro, who is calling in from New York City about GLAAD. He's been with GLAAD for over a decade, talking about the great work that GLAAD is doing all over the country. And then uh, we're going to have a visit from some of the members of the gay and lesbian Armenians who are very happy about the recent U.S. Congress and Senate resolution, uh, finally calling the Armenian genocide what it was, a genocide. Uh, They've been working on that for 50 years. And of course, uh, LGBT lives can be quite complicated in Armenian culture. So we'll be talking to them. And then at the end of the show, we got these two great moms who are coming in who didn't like the fact that none of their uh, kids' schools seem to have any material about LGBT people. So what did they do, as moms often do, mama bears? They got in and went out and found material. And then they gathered donors and they bought books and they made sure that LA Unified was providing literature to uh, elementary and secondary school kids about LGBT lives so that their kids would feel some degree of acceptance in the public schools. I love moms like that. Moms are fantastic. But they'll be in at the at the end of the show, and uh, it's happy December 20th, 2019. Jason, oh my it's God. It's almost I, Christmas. Please, I don't have a tree. I don't have a gift. I don't have no a thing. No way. I, have, I, have, I, I got the tree Oh, okay, night. you got I, the tree. The tree is up. Is it a real tree? <laughs> it's a real tree. Okay, I it love It does my not have trees. an ornament on it, but it's there. It's there and it's watered. There's something about real trees, you know, that smell that comes off of them. Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. fills the house. And I put up my Hanukkah and my uh, Hanukkah candles, and I put up my Kwanzaa dolls. I'm hey. all in. I'm all in. All right. I'm all in for the holiday. Now you just need some ornaments. I, I, well, that'll <laughs> happen later today. <laughs> Gang, let's start out with Rich Ferraro, who's calling in from New York City from GLAAD. Rich, are you on there, on, on the air with us? I'm here. Hi, hey, John. Rich. Welcome to the show. Thanks. So I was uh, chatting with you before the show got started. I remember when GLAAD got started. One of my colleagues, Carol Anderson, who was an attorney here in Los Angeles, she and I came out of the uh, the ACT UP movement. I was one of ACT UP's lawyers back then in the uh, late 80s. And uh, Carol and I think a group of uh, people all over the country got together and said, we need something like the ADL. We need an anti-defamation league for LGBT people. And let's start something. And they called it GLAD. And uh, you all have been around ever since then. I think the late 80s. I don't remember. Do you know your founding year? I think it's the late 80s. Yeah, so we were founded in New York City in, in 1985, so we're going to be turning 35 pretty soon. And in addition to Carol and the folks who you mentioned, Vito Russo was also critical in founding the uh, yeah, cell- uh, Celluloid Closet. York. Yeah, Celluloid Closet exactly, author. Yeah. Wonderful guy. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And initially, GLAD got started because um, stereotypes and myths ranging from pedophilia to, uh, you know, how, how a gay man is supposed to look and sound or how a lesbian is supposed to look or sound. I mean, the media was doing us no favors back then in terms of portrayals or caricatures of LGBT people. Like, they got part of it right. Yes, there are effeminate, lisping gay men, and yes, there are ultra-butch, dyke lesbians. I have examples of both in my life, and I love them. But there's so much more than just those uh, those presentations. So tell, tell us a little bit about GLAD, why it exists, what's your raison d'etre, oh, I'm saying it wrong, your reason to be. 
raison d'etre, <laughs> my French sucks. Yeah, my, my reason to be and my, my colleagues at GLAAD, our reason to be is to create a world where there's 100% LGBTQ acceptance. And I think you hit on some of GLAAD's founding. The other big impetus for the founding of it was the coverage of HIV AIDS in the mid 80s, which was just demonizing gay men in the most despicable and inaccurate ways. Um, so um, one of our first actions as GLAAD um, was protesting outside of the New York Post, which was just running the most disgusting articles. And it's less about these articles running and it's more about the impact. So that's what GLAAD focuses on. I always tell people there are LGBTQ organizations that lobby in courtrooms. There are LGBTQ organizations that lobby in on Capitol Hill and to lawmakers. We lobby in the court of public opinion, and we do that through the media, because how can you reach the biggest audience of non-LGBTQ people possible? How can you change the most hearts and minds about our community? It's through the media, and that has changed dramatically in GLAD's life. So what we started out doing, what the founders started out doing was really working in the newsrooms. Then we spread to LA to work in Hollywood, knowing that if people got to know us, if people got to know LGBTQ people, people, their hearts and minds would change, and that would pave the way for legal equality. Um, but you can't legislate acceptance. You can't legislate what people are going to be doing at PTA meetings and in schools and how they're going to be voting at the, at the ballot box. Um, so that's what we do today is we work with all forms of media. And that's really been a huge evolution in my decade at GLAAD, um, decade plus, which is unbelievable to say. Um, but we've been working through news media, through Hollywood, and then through new forms of media. Obviously, social media is a big um, focus of us. We also do a lot of work behind the scenes in the video game industry. And when I say work, and when I say work through the media, we push the stories that are going to create change. We push the stories that are going to move hearts and minds. And we do that through our relationships with the media. Um, so we used to be known really as a media watchdog. And I'm sure you've seen, and you still do see, some of the work that when Glad calls out a company, when Glad calls out... Um, um, a public official or a celebrity Rich, for hold, hold, Rich, something. Hold, Rich, yeah. hold that thought because we got to go to commercial break. Gang, we're talking to Rich Farrell from GLAAD. When got we it. come back, we'll get more into all the great work GLAAD is doing here on Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Cindy Lopper's True Colors, that's what I think GLAAD is all about. Letting us all show our true colors. We're talking to Rich Ferraro from GLAAD in New York City. Rich, welcome back. 
Yeah, hi. You guys were in the middle of the Hallmark Channel storm, and man, what a storm that was. They're in, they're out, they're back, they're forth. Uh, what what exactly happened uh, at Hallmark? Um, yeah, we were in the middle of it, and I'm going to share a real quick tidbit for you that my mom is a manager of a Hallmark store and so proud to work for Hallmark and sends me text messages all the time of pictures of um, LGBTQ inclusive cards that they have. So it was everything I do at Gladys personal, but that was really personal to me. I think the Hallmark channel really, um, they fell victim to the 1 million moms, which is one of these anti-LGBTQ groups that has been, and in my 10 years of GLAD, they were always known as fringe, and companies didn't listen to them. We often would give companies even a heads up when the one million moms quote-unquote attacked that they're, they're not friendly moms. It's really a front for the American Family Association, and those people just wake up every day to make life harder for LGBTQ families. So the Hallmark Channel did not realize, I, I think that they didn't realize who the one million moms really were. They thought they were more powerful, and they didn't understand that they're not a group of concerned moms, their group of anti-LGBTQ activists, and they fell, they fell for it. Um, they pulled that um, beautiful Zola ad featuring the gay wedding. Um, and then um, what we did as um, social media and activism on social media has changed the game for us at GLAAD, because as hashtag boycott Hallmark Channel was trending, we were able to go to the Hallmark Channel with the research about who one million moms were. We also went to them with research about here's all the advertisers that do feature LGBTQ families and proudly do. And if you're not going to accept these ads, you're going to miss out on many of them. And then the last big piece of info that we shared with the Hallmark Channel is that Glad was going to be going to other advertisers on the Hallmark Channel to say to ask them where they stood on this debacle and to ask them to pause funding if they stood with the community until there was resolution. I just imagined like young LGBTQ people opening that Hallmark card on Christmas or opening the Hallmark cards for Hanukkah, and I wanted them to see that Hallmark brand and to know that the brand stood with them and not was a brand that wanted to exclude them. So it was really important for us to reverse that. So on Sunday night, the Hallmark Channel decided to reverse the decision. They were open to the Zola ad. And now GLAD is going to be doing one of the things that we do best, which is consulting with them and pushing them throughout the year to include us in their programming. We have a rightful place on every channel on TV, especially the Hallmark Channel, because I think family-friendly today means including LGBTQ families. Yeah, well, great job on that. You know, I'm a trained lawyer, and I've learned never to ask a question that I don't already know the answer to, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. I know Noticed a headline in uh, one of the uh, local blogs that I read every day to keep current on LGBT issues. Something about J.K. Rowling uh, making some transphobic yeah. remarks, and I was like, "What? I got I got to read that later." I don't even know what that is, but I imagine you do, and I imagine you're probably preparing a response. Yeah. Um, so at Glad every day we start our morning 9:30 a.m. New York time. We have a morning briefing where we go over the news of the day with respect to LGBTQ people and how we can play a role in them. So yesterday morning we all woke up to a tweet that J.K. Rowling sent out, and she hasn't tweeted very much at all this year. It's been and she's the Harry digits. Harry Potter author, right? For our listeners who may Correct. not know. Okay. Yes. Yep. 
and she's also um, the writer of films like Fantastic Beasts um, and, of course, all the Harry Potter films. And she's beloved and well-respected, and I think she's helped so many young people who felt different to um, relate to those characters in Harry Potter, and they became real quick fans, especially LGBTQ young people. Um, so she tweeted this really ugly thing about trans women, and I think in the United Kingdom right now, there is an, a very ugly fight between, between, between um, what, who we, we refer to, the community here refers to as TERFs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists. These are cis women, many of them are... Um, lesbian or bi women um, who are cisgender who don't believe that trans women belong in women in spaces reserved for women. So they're on the wrong side of history on that one. But in the UK, they have a real huge amount of influence amongst influential people like J.K. Rowling. It was clear that J.K. Rowling was borrowing from their talking points in her tweet. Um, and at Glad, what we did yesterday was typically when people in the public eye or brands or networks or newspapers run anti-LGBTQ things or inaccurate LGBTQ items, we reach out and we try and see can we educate you? Can we sit down? With J.K. Rowling, I think her mind would be completely flipped if she sat, sat down with actual transgender people and heard from them about who they are, what it means to be transgender, and why what she said was so harmful. So again, social media is, has, is still lit up with um, members of the trans community and allies who are speaking out against what she said. And um, she said she's not speaking out anymore. She, or her team has also said no comment. So I think it's still an open-ended story, but one that's going to continue and should continue because I think what she said was so harmful to people who aren't well-versed in trans identities. And she reaches so many people around the world. So I do hope that she takes this opportunity to sit down with members of the trans community, whether they be at GLAD or other organizations, and educates herself. She shouldn't just hear from people who don't like trans people. She should hear from the actual community. You know, so both of these examples that you're talking about seem like uh, examples of neglect rather than malicious intent. Um, is that mm-hmm. the majority of what you do? Is it is it just uh, people or media outlets being reckless or, or, uh, or not understanding? It's a mix. One of the the interesting, most interesting parts of this job, and I think being an LGBTQ activist in general these days, is you never know who you're going to come up against or what you're going to be um, working on. Um, so we have that morning briefing every morning where we go over it. I do worry these days that anti-LGBTQ activists, remember like Brian Brown, the head of National Organization for Marriage, Tony Perkins, head of Family Research Council, they are really gaining influence in this um divisive political and cultural time. Many of them have seats in the White House or have the ears of people who are running government agencies, and that's really dangerous. So there's, as they are gearing up and gaining credibility, um, we are trying to keep them in check. We're trying to make sure that mainstream media journalists know who they are and can put them into context. And then the other big part of GLAD's work is more proactive. So I work really in the day-to-day trenches and um, on rapid response when uh, crisis communication situations like the Hallmark Channel come up, but we have a a bureau of GLAD called the GLAD Media Institute, and they do trainings around the world. It's something that I think a lot of people don't know GLAD even does, Um, but we've trained in the last three years 10,000 activists and allies around the world um, on how to use the media and how to do GLAD's work with the media in your local community or with your own organization. So that's everything from we had a staff member who helped um, Australia activists when they were fighting for marriage equality in Australia to training trans women of color in the South to speak out about the epidemic of violence 
um, facing trans women. And then they also consult with um, Hollywood and with newsrooms in a behind-the-scenes way when they want more information. Because I think there is, amongst a lot of um, media people today, an interest in telling LGBTQ stories, but they want to do so in a responsible way and in a way that's going to have impact. So um, our team in the GLAD Media Institute works with them in a proactive way to do just that. Let me, let me ask you, since you brought it up, social media. So Twitter, Instagram, and other apps like that have individuals who have large followings of people, but they don't have paid advertisers. So using the leverage of advertisement or withholding advertising dollars disappears. What, what happens if a prominent rapper or a young millennial with a huge following or Donald J. Trump you know, put something out that millions of people read. Is there a role for GLAD when, when that happens? Yeah, when, when that happens, my phone lights up and um, media are looking for a response for the community. So oftentimes we play that role or sometimes we'll even direct to another organization because they might be the better face for it. But I think it's important to keep people like that in check. With, with Donald J. Trump and the Trump administration, um, everyone's focused on the circus that's happening right now in D.C., and I can't get um, the same level of attention for the anti-LGBTQ actions that the administration has um, has put forward. Things like the food stamp program that dis- disproportionately affects LGBTQ people. Um, things like stripping away rights for federal employees who are LGBTQ, um, standing up for so-called religious uh, exemptions and religious freedom. Um, The administration has systematically been trying to roll back anti-LGBTQ protections, and no one in the mainstream media is checking them. So what we've tried to do is we have um, a page, glad.org slash Trump, and we're documenting that for journalists and for the general public so that voters can be um, equipped with, okay, well, is Trump for the LGBTQ community? I saw him hold up a rainbow flag once. It's like, no, actually, here are over 125, I think, we might be at 130 now attacks from Trump or the Trump administration in rhetoric and in policy against LGBTQ people. So we try and give the facts, whether you're a journalist or a member of the general public, to make sure that you're equipped to hold Trump and um, anti-LGBTQ activists accountable. That That's awesome. You know, my friend Bill McDermott would kill me if I didn't ask this next question. If somebody wants to donate or support the work of GLAD, what is your website? How do they get a hold of you? How do they become a member Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, and, and donations, we need donations to keep this work alive, and it's growing as anti-LGBTQ groups are growing, but also we need people to just follow us on social media because we, we are going to need armies of people to take action when wrong thing, when anti-LGBTQ things happen. So G-L-A-A-D, and you could um, donate at glad.org or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of the social media platforms. Remember that, gang, two A's, Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, GL. A-A-D. Rich, you've been a wonderful guest. I hope you have a wonderful holiday and a very happy new year. And uh, good luck to GLAD in 2020. We need you guys. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, guys. Gang, happy new year. When we come back, we'll be talking about the uh, evangelical publication that called Donald Trump out about time here on Channel Q.
Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. A left 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Gang, we are back. Big news today. But I've got my friend John Bozeman calling in from the road. John, are you there? I am here. You, What's going on? You are there. You are so quick to respond. Here I am. We're in the commercial break. I'm thinking, I need one of our LGBT Christians <laughs> who's been in and out of reparative therapy to discuss this next issue yeah. with me. And I thought, I wonder if John Absolutely. Bozeman's available. There you are. There you I'm are. I'm right here. Well, I'm, I'm on the road, and we're not, we uh, haven't pulled over, so we're in Utah. Service sucks. Oh, my so God. know that. Maybe say that before we go live. How long do we go live? We are or live. On, we're on the air we're now. We're on the air right now. We're on the air right now. Yes. There are 30,000 people listening to you right now, well, John. You know 30,000 people just heard me. <laughs> he didn't not get, a, get the fact that we're live. You didn't get a proper introduction, <laughs> so let me give that to you. All right. Give him a proper introduction. There we there go. There you go. There we go. John Bozeman, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, guys. <laughs> All right. So here's the, here's the issue, John, and here's the issue to our listeners. Christianity today, which is a very influential uh, evangelical magazine, came out uh, a couple of days ago saying that Trump should be yeah. removed from office. Now, okay, you got to understand, these evangelicals, they, they march in lockstep. And for um, that to happen, so I'm going to quote from the article. This is a quote from the article. The President of the United States attempted to use his political power to coerce a foreign leader to harass and discredit one of the President's political opponents. This is not only a violation of the Constitution, more importantly, it is profoundly immoral. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And then they went Finally. On, they went on and they said uh <clears throat> this is to the readers of the publication, to the many evangelicals who continue to support Mr. Trump in spite of his blackened moral record, we might say this. Remember who you are and whom you serve. Consider how your justification of Mr. Trump influences your witness to your Lord and Savior. Man, oh man, that that took some backbone. That took some spine for the editor of that publication. I, it was started, I think, Absolutely. by the Reverend Billy Graham. What I mean, when when because I you know I I was raised Catholic, so it's you know it's not quite as hardcore as evangelical Christian. Yeah, ex-evangelical here. Yes, right. I know, and that's why I wanted to ask you. So, for somebody to actually step out and be courageous, what what do you think it finally took for this editor to to get Get the backbone to speak up. It's really hard for me to know. Like, part of me thinks that it was just this political move to cover their asses, possibly because of the impeachment. But maybe they've been sitting on this for a while. And they, I think I remember they mentioned in the article that they were waiting um, to let people have their own opinion because they know how influential they are. Um, 
so there's that. But uh, let me just tell you, the second I read that article, I uh, sent a text to my dad and was like, well, do you see it now? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was pretty excited that that article came out, for you, sure. You know, um, from the moment that he... You know, the motivation. The moment he, yeah. he mocked and made fun of that disabled journalist... When I saw that, I was so angry and heartbroken, and I thought, what coarse crassness have we come to as a nation where a candidate for the president of the United States thinks it's okay to mock somebody living with a disability? I mean, talk about the ultimate act of bullying, and yet evangelical Christians rushed to his side. And I'm like, did you not see what he did? What did he, what did he do? Oh, Jason, he, 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 this, uh, this uh, journalist who has a form of cerebral palsy, oh, Donald gosh. Trump got on the air and made a, a hand motion like he had a, you know, a cerebral palsy hand. Are you kidding And me? he mocked him. Wow. Well, and the second that they gave uh, evangelicals or whoever, Trump followers, a way out to you know, they're like, oh, no, he didn't really do that. Like, they're so quick to want to justify him. I mean, it's, I see the same pattern with their leaders in their churches or their, their pastors. You know, they, if their pastors say something incendiary or whatever, they just say things like, well, he, he tells it like it is. Like, there's no actual uh, thought. Like, uh, what do you call it? Like, there's no debate inside the head of what is right or wrong. They are so used to, they are programmed to be told what to think. And so this is just kind of the... Hopefully the, the, I don't know, what do you call it, the last big boom of that kind of thought so people can catch on and be like, hey, people are that easily convinced to just follow this crowd. You know, that's what I, ugh, it's scary. It is scary. Honestly, I mean, scary. between, you know, grabbing her by, by the, I can't even say it on the air. I'm sure it's <laughs> prohibited, you know, or putting children in cages or cutting food stamps to the poor or stoking far-right nationalism. I mean, how can Christians align themselves with this political vitriol that that's right. the well, thing ideally now this article gives them permission because apparently they need that to think outside of that because they've been like they've themselves their brains are in cages honestly i mean it's still their fault for not going beyond that but <laughs> there's that too hopefully this article gives them permission to step outside of that box yeah i, I wonder if how many of them know that deep in their hearts but they're just not saying anything yeah it's so true you know John, yeah. we got to go to commercial again, but I want to thank you for calling in from the road of Utah. Yeah. Have a very yeah. happy Christmas and a happy new year with your family. You too. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, it was nice I'm to have Nice. Glad reception last. I'm just glad you didn't say anything really ridiculous <laughs> when you didn't realize you were on the air. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That would happen. That would happen. Thanks for it. I'm glad. I'm glad I asked before I started to speak my weird direct truth. Yeah. All right, gang. When we come back, more about what's happening in our world today here during Impeachment Week on Channel Q. If your day sounds like we need the report ASAP, you deserve Medella. If you've persevered through, you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame, two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Modelo, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. That's where an agent who is a realtor comes in to navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. 
So, gang, welcome back. We are here in studio, and Jason and I just noticed there is not one holiday decoration in this studio. No, I'm a little yeah, upset right I'm now. What's going on here? You know, we share the floor with K-Rock, and they've got rock and roll, like Christmas trees, and K-Earth, and they've got Santa Clauses and snowmans. And and even and, the Wave, too, the wave, The Jazz Station, yep. they've all, and the LGBT station. We don't, now, Halloween, we killed it. Oh, we, yeah. We killed. Oh, we smashed it. We brought in a, a ghost guest? <laughs> yes. We, we had, and there was lots of decorations. And there, In fact, there's still a pumpkin right there on the shelf oh my god left over from well, Halloween. well you just picked up a candy corn off the floor yeah I mean, I, and i did ago. i did and that's <laughs> that's crazy i mean you know next year we're going to make sure we we do up this place because hey we're if it wasn't for us there'd be no elves i agree with you one thousand <laughs> percent Oh, how funny. So we were chatting earlier with John Bozeman about the Christianity Today article, and it really brings up an important issue, and and uh, I guess Jason and I are going to chat about it. Well, Jason, you're on the spot, millennial. What's I hate, up? I hate to put you on the spot. I'm here. What's popping? Right. So, okay, this is where <laughs> this is where your older friend said, this is one of those trudging through the snow stories, okay? All but, right. Yeah, when I was, no, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Not that me. bad. Not that bad. But the founding fathers and mothers, when they put together the Constitution, they put in the First Amendment about separation of church and state, and that was Thomas Jefferson who really pushed to keep the state and the church separate. Why? Because they had come from Europe, mm-hmm. where they had watched Europeans fighting brutal, internecine, you know, bloody wars over religion. You know, wow. in England between the the Brits and the Scots, you know, Queen Elizabeth and Queen Mary. One was a Catholic, one was a Christian. People were getting their heads chopped off for being the wrong religion. You know, there were the Crusades. The, the Spanish going around killing everybody all across Europe because they weren't Catholic. Uh, Jews, of course, constantly on the run from the pogroms. I mean, religion was used to slaughter thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, right? So they saw that. They came from that, and they said, okay, we need to keep the church, the bishop on the chessboard, away from the king and the queen, right? Yeah. Got to keep the power away. And so part of the reason was to keep the church having over-influence on politics. But the other flip side of that was to protect religion from how dirty politics is. And Donald Trump is the glaring example of how dirty politics can be. And now it's besmirching religion. People are thinking, look at religious people, like you're in with the devil, basically. Well, well, why is religion getting tied in with this? Well, they shouldn't. It all started, the moral majority, okay, religion's always been around, right, since the founders, but it was really in the early 80s when Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson and Paul Weyrich started something called the moral majority where they realized, the Republican Party realized their agenda of big business, big corporations, was not popular with the common people, with the middle class. They needed to figure out how to expand their electoral base, and they saw this largely untapped group of people market yes religious people evangelicals and christians and others who were not really active but they ended up developing a campaign to bring them in and you know roe versus wade the abortion rights started in 73 was really never under attack till the moral majority formed itself and gay people weren't really under attack we weren't even in people's minds at all until the moral majority showed up during ronald reagan's presidency Mm -hmm. and suddenly they had a great wedge issue to force culture wars which we're still in the middle of you know, and it's been kind of gross because I think a lot of people look at it and hold their nose at organized religion. Like mm-hmm. organized religion is tainted and dirty and just as evil. And I mean, especially when you cuddle up to somebody like Donald Trump. 
Well, yeah. you know, religion is all about perspective anyways, right? Because, you know, you, you, I'm sure growing up you had a hard time with religion, right? I was an altar boy. I was a Catholic. Oh, so yeah, you did. Yeah. So so you I were... sang in the church choir and, you know, but we, we were never in politics. I was raised Catholic. I did all Catholic school, but we weren't really politics. Well, hold on. What got you into politics? Oh, now that's another, <laughs> that's going to take longer than the two minutes we've got left to the top of the hour. <laughs> It's primarily HIV. Long story, huh? Yeah, long story. <laughs> it was HIV and AIDS. The AIDS epidemic hit in the mid-'80s, oh, and everybody man. was dying, and I had to get involved, and that's how I jumped into politics. And you just felt like you this is your calling, like you had well, to I go was, out there. I was in law school, so you know I was preparing to become a lawyer. and uh, I'm like, sure that was brutal in yeah, itself. My yeah, gosh. and then we had this epidemic hit, and it's like, okay, we need to change the law. How do you change the law? I remember conjunction, junction, what's your function? And then there was another one called these after school uh, special called I Am a Bill. And it's like, you know, oh, that legislature. Song, right? Yeah. I, I remember seeing that early, <laughs> early in my Yeah, year. this was public education <laughs> television in the 1960s. And anyway, I remember then, oh, so there's like the legislative branch and the executive branch and the judiciary. I mean, it's right. basic civics. Right. But I really, it was never relevant to my life. And I realized, okay, to create laws, you got to impact the legislative body. Legislative bodies are made by campaigns. That's what Democrats and Republicans fight about. And but, I had to walk it backwards. Love, I love your thought process how you just thought to yourself in law school i need to do something to get myself out there and change the system right. it's in because it's not right, right right now and i was your age yeah i was in my 20s wow. when that happened i know well, hey. i know look at me now <laughs> look at me now i know and I, you're looking good buddy or <laughs> whatever i'm older than your mother we found out this morning i'm not happy <laughs> no. about that i am not happy about being older than your mother now i do feel like daddy on the air uh but uh yeah so anyway it's it's, it's interesting to me that finally this christianity today and a publication founded by the late Reverend Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a friend to all presidents. He was a friend of the Clintons. He was a friend of Barack Obama. He was a friend to the Bushes. He was a friend of the Reagans. He tried to keep himself out of the partisan squabble. His son, Franklin, who's now running the show, completely snuggled up to Donald Trump, completely and totally snuggled up to Donald Trump, which just is so gross to me. It, it really makes a mockery, I think, of religion. It makes a lot of people, like me, let's say religion is bad, bad again. Yeah, religion and politics are not something that should they be should together. They should not mix together. No. And I'm a very spiritual person. And I, you know, I believe in God. I believe in the Jesus guy. And I you know, follow my still religious practices. But I don't want that involved. It's very personal. I don't want it involved in my politics. Like, I would not be quoting... Well, I might be quoting Jesus about the lepers and the prostitutes who he befriended. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of leftists, if we look carefully, that Jesus guy was pretty radical. He was, pretty, he was about overthrowing Rome, overthrowing the Jewish synagogues, overthrowing the religious leadership of the day, creating a whole new idea about taking care of the poor and the vulnerable and the sick and the lame and the prostitutes. That's pretty progressive for the year zero yeah yeah <laughs> or, or negative 35 yeah 35 bc yeah yeah so there you go all right a little history lesson a little history lesson <laughs> when we come back we're going to be talking to armin abelian uh from uh, the gay and lesbian armenians about the historic vote on the armenian genocide thanks for tuning in here on channel q a little armenian music to set us off right Welcome, Armin and Bellion, back to the show, to the sidebar. 
Do you know what that music is? We have no idea. Thank you, John. I was wondering. <laughs> it sounded that. very familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Jason. sure I've heard it before. Yeah, good job, Jay. So, yes. so look, when I was looking online, it said it was Armenian folk Lernapar. What is that? Uh, what folk, is, uh, what's that last word? Lernapar. L e r n a p a r. Do you know what Lunapar? That? Lunapar. Uh, it's yeah. It's a it's an Armenian traditional dance. Oh. oh. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a very you know call to arms type of. Oh, I love it. Yeah. That's very appropriate for you coming back right. on the show. Good it job, is. Jay. Hey. Yes, great job. I knew exactly what I was doing. <laughs> All right. So, Armin, the last time I saw you, I think, or time before. It was April. We were on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles protesting mm-hmm. yes. uh, about the. It was the annual commemoration of the Armenian genocide, yes, right? April twenty fourth. April, and, and there we there. were on Wilshire Boulevard. I ran into you, and there With we are friends. out there. Yes, yes, we were protesting together and uh, to show a little LGBT presence in the middle of this big Armenian protest march. Yeah. Yes, and the community really appreciates. Yeah. Uh, that you representing West Hollywood have been with us since the beginning. Well, absolutely. But yes, I think that some people you. may not realize what it is that we're talking about. So World War One happened, uh-huh. and World War One, millions of Armenians were yes. slaughtered by Turkey. I mean, they were forced to march, and they were hungry yes. and starving. And I like to draw parallels, and it's kind of uncanny what's going on. So it was. The Ottoman Empire, which has extended, overextended itself, and uh, kind of was going through tough times, and it was looking for scapegoats, and it was pointing at minorities and saying, "Oh, only if we get rid of the Christians, things would be better. If, only if we got rid of the Armenians or the Greeks or the Assyrians, things would be better." And then one day, when the Young Turks uh, took over, it's a foreign political party. I mean, they uh, kind of orchestrated. The genocide and on April 24th they uh, gathered up all the Armenian intellectuals uh, community leaders and um, elected officials and just killed them and then came back and in uh, kind of prepared in continuous fashion they gathered up people uh, gassed and killed them and deported them they said oh you can't be here we're gonna deport you uh, to um, Actually, what they do to Kurds, they're cleaning up a section, a buffer zone. Ethnic cleansing, right? Yeah, in back World in the War day. One they style. Said, yeah, we're not going to really kill you. We're just going to have you march through a desert for thousands of miles. And right. then <laughs> you figure out where you're going. And, or water. Uh, water. And then uh, they killed and uh, looted people on the way. And 1.5 million people actually uh, perished. And, uh, oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah, 1.5 yes. million Armenians. And the world never recognized that. I mean, it was, in essence, the precursor for what would happen and then to the Jews in World yes. War II. Actually, uh, at the time, and we have the uh, Far East Relief Foundation, which uh, is more than 100, I think it's 110 years old or so, but it was specifically created by the Wilson uh, administration to uh, take care of the refugees that were scattered in the region uh, because of the mass deportations and uh, killings. And actually, um, Associated Press and the New York Times had hundreds and hundreds of articles uh, talking about the issue. And the ambassador to the Ottoman Empire, uh, Henry Morgenthau, he wrote a book about it. And he was uh, one of the vocal U.S. Uh, uh, people who would uh, raise the issue and say this an ethnic cleansing is going on in Armenia. He sent many cables to the State Department, to the president. He tried to 
uh, lobbied the Turkish government to allow for these people to be uh, kind of, in a way, uh, moved um, more properly, but it fell on deaf ears until mm -hmm. it was too late. But um, many countries in the world, I think <coughs> the number is, most countries in the Western Hemisphere have recognized the genocide, and recently, United States um, kind of unofficially joined uh, yes, that the, community. the House and the Senate both recently voted in the last few months uh -huh. to recognize, just recognize, right. that the Armenian genocide occurred. Right, and it's uh, kind of incredible that it was a bipartisan effort in the House and in the Senate. It was 11 uh, Republicans who voted against it, but only 11 in the House. And then in the Senate, it was unanimous. That doesn't happen now. That doesn't happen. Nothing bipartisan. And nothing happens, happens unanimously yeah. anymore in the Senate. Right. But I think what it was, the reason it hadn't happened before, is that Turkey has a very critical spot in uh -huh. the, between the Middle East and Europe right. in terms of the United States having bases in Turkey. That's true. And uh, that was the reason that politicians on both sides were uh -huh. fearful to do anything yes. that they thought might irritate Turkey. Might irritate it, but they've been terrible allies to the United States in, uh, in the fight in the Middle East because they've been funding and fighting with ISIS against the Kurds and the United yep. States. Yep. But somehow we have bases there and we have to do what they say. Yeah, and, and now, of course, Turkey is uh, cuddled up with Syria and Russia. Uh -huh. Thank you, Donald Trump. <laughs> and so, it's sad. I hope yeah. history doesn't repeat itself uh, as it has many me times. Me too. I mean, we already kind of see it with the Kurds happening yes. again. It's so unfortunate. Again. We got to go to commercial. When we come back, we'll talk about gay and lesbian Armenians and uh, life here in Southern California for you. Thanks for tuning in, gang, here on Channel Q. Okay, all right. Start dancing, baby. Yeah. Go, John. Yeah, yeah. Get it, John. Get it. I'm going to invite you to an Armenian wedding I one would, day. I would yeah. love to. Hey. You'll see how it's done. All right. Armenian music, because we're talking with Armin Abelian here. Uh, he's, well, I first met him through uh, gay and lesbian Armenians. Galas is what you were called back then, uh, I think. Galas, yes. Gay and lesbian Armenian society. I was the president. And yeah. then, um, now I'm with Equality Armenia. Which is so cool. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I know that here in Southern California, we, we have a lot of exposure to the Armenian culture because Los Angeles is, in terms of the United States, the largest gathering of Armenian refugees and community in the country. Uh, yes, right? United Although States. Although they're scattered, Armenians are all over the country, I think. Uh, right, but the largest community is in Los Angeles and the most organized one. Now, is it tough to be openly gay or lesbian in Armenian society and culture? You know, it still is, uh, but in Los Angeles, it's not as bad because we live in one of the most uh, liberal cities of the most liberal state, and things have changed really fast in the last uh, maybe two decades. But uh, as far as the case is in Armenia, it still is a big deal. In Armenian, do they prosecute or execute uh, gay no, and lesbian? Uh, or? Since 2003, and uh, this was... Uh, President Robert Kocharyan, who's on trial right now for corruption, oh. he uh, actually uh, decriminalized uh, homosexuality or sodomy laws in 2003. Um, and, and it's not against the law, but um, it's very tough for LGBT people in Armenia because uh, they're being discriminated against. There are no laws protecting them. And although Armenia recognizes uh, marriages that are legal abroad, 
in Armenia, but they don't extend the same um, courtesy or the same rights to their citizens. Hmm. Is yeah. there an influential religious uh, base? What is it? Is it Christian, Muslim? It's Ardut. Artax, I was going to say, uh, it's uh, it's the first Christian country uh, on the face of the earth, and they're very proud to be the first country nine years before Rome that adapted Christianity, mm. and they cling to that very uh, dearly. Mm. Uh, and that church is the longest running organization in the world, hmm. and they're very uh, much against any type of change. So they try to um, influence what's going on in the country, and they're uh, very much involved in the processes, although state and church should be separate. Right, that's right. the same in Armenia. But In our Arme- yeah. current modern-day Armenia, in the time of Jesus, would it have been Assyria? Assyrians? Or? Uh, no, it's uh, 2,000 years ago. Yeah, just yes. curious. Uh, so the capital of Armenia right now, Yerevan, was founded in uh it's just celebrated its 2800 uh, anniversary. Wow. So Armenia has that's, that's been That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the oldest countries in the world and one of the top 10 uh, oldest languages in the world uh, along with Lithuanian and Aramaic and uh, Yiddish and uh, a few other old uh, languages. So we've been around for uh, centuries before uh, Jesus and um, and then it goes back uh, you know uh, five, six uh, centuries of uh, recorded history hmm. in the region. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, and we've been side by side with the Assyrians, and um, the last of them were murdered by uh, the Ottoman Empire, and they don't exist. Uh, they don't have a state, and they're scattered, and few few of them remain. Uh, it's really sad. Some of them, in you know, current-day Armenia, in the region, there's a very small community in the United States. Hmm. Yeah. Equality Armenia, are you active today? And, and if so, what's, what is on your work plan for the upcoming year? All right. So I was in Armenia this summer, and I met with um, the leaders of LGBT and human rights organizations in Armenia. And it's uh, incredible the work that they do. And uh, as an organization that we're modeling ourselves to be an umbrella organization that helps organizations in Armenia. We provide them a voice and resources. We put them in touch with people who can help them, uh, elected officials here um, of Armenian descent or not who are friends of the Armenian community. And uh, they go on um, business missions or uh, delegations to Armenia. And uh, we kind of educate them on what's going on in Armenia and who are the players and uh, what are the stakes for the LGBT community. And uh, we also support organizations uh, here. We've supported Gallus and we provide, I'm really proud of our social media presence and we do an incredible job of highlighting our allies and identifying our foes and just showing a better example how things should be done. That's Equality Armenia on uh, Instagram and Facebook. And uh, uh, check out our page. It's, uh, we have really good resources, and we try to inspire people, and we try to give hope to uh, people who are in the closet or uh, young and think their lives cannot uh, be as fully you know, um, 
I guess, uh, developed because they have to keep themselves in a closet. And we say it gets better. We give them hope and we show them uh, mm. how it's done. Is there uh, a pressure in Armenian culture, like a lot of Asian and Latin cultures, to marry, have children, create a family, there pass is. on the family name? Yes. And it's a misconception in Armenia right now uh, that um, the population growth is you know, threatened because of the LGBT community, but it's actually the corruption and uh, inequality in genders. That's an actual argument in Armenia? Yes. That somehow yes, gay people are a threat? Yes, because we need to repopulate and uh, gay people are a threat, but oh my when gosh. you do actual scientific studies, women tell men and uh, whoever is taking the study, they're not having more children because they're worried about corruption and they're worried about their financial stability, the, the economic future of the country. And uh, that's why they're not, uh, you know, having two, three, four kids. They're sticking to one. So um, for any country to kind of address that, you cannot blame it on uh, a small percentage of the population. Right, right. That's not the case. It's just to make economy available for more people and root out corruption that's one way to uh, encourage you know population growth women in armenia are they subjected to restraint about being mother and homemaker or are now women finally becoming career oriented and, and higher education like yes. other places so uh, when i was there i noticed that change the younger generation is just uh, better educated and they're more uh, worldly but the highest, highest value of uh, uh, women, it's kind of portrayed as it's motherhood, which is very admirable. And I think that's an admirable thing to be a mother, to raise the next generation. But to say that that's your only track and if you do anything e else, you're a lesser of uh, a woman or mm. uh, a human being. It's very unfortunate everyone should follow their path. And if they decide uh, to prioritize their careers or whatever, other gifts they have to give uh, to society, then uh, more power to them. But um, I do admire women who become mothers and who raise the next generation. We have to give them all the tools to do that well. And uh, economic well-being is one way, and that's what Armenia should pursue. Tell us, uh, we've got less than 30 seconds about how people want to get in touch with you or Equality Armenia, your website, your Yes, Instagram. so equalityarmenia.org and also Equality Armenia on Instagram and uh, Equality Armenia on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, we have email addresses there or there are many ways you can message us. And we like putting people in touch uh, with resources and with other people. So. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. Will we have a march April 24th still? Yes, we will. Even though will. the government yes. finally passed the resolution. Uh, people ask, what are you going to do now? And, uh, you know, I wish we had more time, but uh, we demand that the Turkish government, um, you know, uh, pay reparations just like the German government Will you did. come back in April? We'll talk about it right before uh, the march. I would love to. We'll have yes. you back. We'll have you back. Gang, when we come back, Kiko Feldman and Morgan Walsh, moms who stood up for their kids getting books in the public schools. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. Coat of Many Colors by Dolly Parton, another mama bear who cares deeply about her LGBT friends. Gang, we have in studio Morgan Walsh, who is with us, and Armin Abelian from uh, Armenians, Gay and Lesbian Armenians, is still in there in the studio with us. Welcome to the show, Morgan. Thank you so much, John. I'm happy to be here. So I know I read about you and Kiko Feldman in the LA Times. I'm like, I need to get these women on the show. That was big press for us. That it was, was a big deal. Tell the, tell the listeners about the LA Times and what the story was about. Sure. So um, again, I'm Morgan Walsh. And 
my partner, Keiko Feldman. We're co-founders of Gender Nation. We're a 501c3 in California that donates LGBTQ-affirming books to public school libraries. Uh, we're both moms. We're very passionate about this. We want these books in the library amongst all the other stories so a kid who maybe doesn't have support at home can go in a library and find their experience reflected back to them. Well, you are like saviors. <laughs> You're um, really great. That is fantastic work. Thank you. We're, we're very passionate about it. Yeah, that is. I think back to when I was a kid, I had one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. <laughs> That's about all I had in, in, in grade school. That's a couple of the colors of the flag. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> you brought some books here today. What did. What did you bring? So we donate 17 books in our sets. Um, we usually partner with the school district themselves. Sometimes we'll uh, present the superintendent with what books we'd like to donate. And in the last 10 years, there's been a ton of beautiful books written. Um, and so we've got a couple of them here. One is called It's Okay to Be Different by Todd Parr. Um, a lot of our stories are just benign, beautiful stories about being yourself. I think Mr. Rogers talked about how important it is just to, to let kids know they're okay exactly as they are. And these books are for elementary school level? Yes. Yeah, so right, That's we amazing. are with, with the right funding, and I'll tell your listeners, gendernation.org, you can <laughs> donate. But um, right now we have a, an elementary school list, so K through sixth grade. Um, I mean, as you can see, um, it's okay to do something nice for yourself. It's okay to get mad. It's okay to lose your mittens. Like, like that's what this book is. Right. Um, just reminding kids that it's okay to be different because we all have felt different. Right, right, you know? yeah, yeah. And that's really an important part of our mission as well. These aren't just for LGBTQ plus kids. Um, they're for all kids. Right. Right? Very, very true. And the more we normalize the experience, the more we minimize bullying. I live across the street from West Hollywood Elementary School. So I see the kids out there all the time, and they just started drag queen... Story hour. Story hour. Yeah. I was like, what is, go <laughs> what is going on at the elementary school? That would be the exception to the rule that they do that at the school, but that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing to me, though. Amazing to me, the progress being made. There is. And we, you know, in California, there's something called the, the Fair Education Act. So it's important to have representation in educational materials. And at Gender Nation, we're not informing the curriculum. We are donating to a school library for kids to find these books on their own. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. do you have any pushback from any parents or faculty or administrators? Yeah, we have, and I, you know, I'm hesitant to name names, so I won't. But sure, we have had some pushback, and and this other book that I brought for you today, which is called Pride: The Story of Harvey Milk and the Rainbow Flag by Rob Sanders. It's a gorgeous book, and um, this book in particular, when was reviewed, when it was reviewed by a certain district, they'd put these tabs on pages where they were concerned. And when I got on the call with this district, he said, this is the one book I want you to pull. And I said, for us, it's really important that we have stories not just about, you know, animals or it's very important to have stories about real people right. and martyrs and heroes like Harvey Milk, who is an incredible civil rights activist. So um, he took issue with the, the fact that Harvey Milk was assassinated. Mm. And I told him when I got his email, I called my own children into the room and I said, how did you learn that um, JFK died? And they said he was assassinated and they're 12, 10 and 8. And I said, how did you learn that Martin Luther King died? And they said he was assassinated. And I, so I brought that up to this gentleman on the phone and I said, we are teaching kids 
about assassinations, and it's important. It's yes. an important part of our history. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, you're right, thank you. Oh, so he, wow. So he that's great yeah. that he was talked into it. That's awesome. Yes. What and is, he was glad. Yeah. He yeah. was glad. Interesting that he, was, he would use a moment of violence uh, as the excuse to get around teaching about a historic figure. The, the U.S. Navy just decided they're going to name a, a ship after Harvey Milk. Really? Yes, yes, up in San Francisco. Oh, when, that's awesome. So when the United States Navy is about yeah. to name a ship, about, <laughs> I'm sure you can do a book called Pride and Harvey Milk and the Story of the Rainbow Flag. And, you know, I identify the pronouns I use are she, her, hers, and, and I identify as a woman, and um, I brought that up to him, too. I said, you know, I would have really killed to have more books about female heroic figures when I was growing up. And... You know, I just, it's so obvious to me that having representation in our education materials uh, makes a difference. Uh, you know, Hermione Granger, <laughs> I think, is the most prominent heroic feminine figure for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> she's smart. She's brilliant. She, without Hermione, Harry, uh, we're talking about Harry Potter. I, yeah. I hope you know that. I got oh, it. Oh, you're my millennial. Yeah. Of course you got this. You got this. <laughs> Hermione is the brains of the whole operation, which is great, rather than her being the damsel in distress. It's true. It's yeah. huge, but she is a fictional character. Right. So it's like, let's get some RBG in there. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, yes, yes. I actually got my Ruth Bader Ginsburg Christmas ornament yesterday. <laughs> yes! That's awesome. <laughs> Gang, we got to go to commercial. When we come back, more with Morgan Walsh. And about the incredible work she's doing in the public schools here on Channel Q. All right. I picked Alice Cooper's Only Women Bleed, Morgan, for you and Keiko because uh. I think that moms go through the biggest heart break about their LGBTQ kids or worry that their kids are not going to be safe. Yeah. Is that what got you into this work? Yeah. I, um, I have three kids, and my oldest, when he was in first grade, so now he's 12, but when he was in first grade, he came to me and he said, Mom, I don't know any other kids like me. And at the time, you know, he hadn't put words to his own experience. We were just watching him, his dad and I, and trying to set up this padded perimeter, we called it, just trying to let him know whoever he is is great, but we also struggled with, we don't live in a bubble, and are people going to be mean to him, Mm. you know? And when you have a little first grader, who's walking around with their American Girl doll. Mm. It's like you just want them to feel like there's nothing wrong with it because there isn't. Right. Yeah. And that, that was your first indicator? He had a... a... There were lots of things. I yeah. mean, as a mother, and if there are any moms out there listening, there's lots of quiet moments where mm. you go, and it, sometimes it's just an internal feeling. But yeah, he wanted to bring his American Girl doll to show and tell. He he loved dresses. He loved my purses. He loved my shoes. Um, so those were indications early on. My niece has a son, and when he was five, he admired Elsa from Frozen. Yeah. He would dress up as Elsa, right? He would spin like Elsa. He was freezing things like Elsa from Frozen. And now he's 11, and now suddenly he's doing sports and other things. And so she's like, I don't know if I have a trans kid, a gay kid, or a straight kid. I don't care. That's exactly it. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, I would say these were indicators for us, but they don't necessarily mean anything for anybody. You, you never know. I, I know. It's so true. And she would ask me, she goes, do you think I have a trans kid? I'm like, Valerie, I love that you're just asking. I yeah. Said, I have yeah. no idea. Let's let him grow up. Just, you know, yeah. let him grow up. Yeah. Follow his lead. Yeah. Well, Keiko Feldman Yay, is now Keiko. in the studio. as She's Hi. joining us. Keiko, we're Put live on, on the air. Put those earphones on and welcome to the show. Welcome, Keiko. 
Say hi. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> we were just talking about how you moms got involved and why you got involved. So tell us a story about your son and what happened. Uh, my son, his name is Zach. He came out when he was 15 years old um, and came out on social media, was super strong and ready and proud and, and um, has a really positive story. But I met Morgan and we talked about how amazing it would have been for these kids to get that messaging earlier. And so um, I was in. I was 100% in. And you were like, uh, really? You got to do social media first? Like, you can't. Like, I know. And then you said he's not regretted it. No, he, he got. I mean, he, his story is, you know, kind of the ideal um, where he was. He worked really, really hard in school. He made a lot of friends. He kind of felt like he was safe. And then he was just ready. And it was Instagram and Facebook. And I was like, do you want to tiptoe into this a little bit? Right, like, nope, right. I'm here. I'm ready. I'm done. And he was in a California public school, correct? Yeah. yeah. Which is like, you know, where the heart of our work is, is to try to spread this message through California public It is. And we were schools. super lucky to um, have that school be the first school district that, that let us kind of donate on a, on a district-wide level. Well, you know, I know for a lot of like kids, okay, our generation, okay, and I'm older than both of you, but... Uh, I think so that, much older. So much older. <laughs> but I think that a lot of the stories, like use the Disney stories, for example, it's always about Aladdin meeting Jasmine or, you know, Peter Pan meeting Wendy. And there's always a male, female. And I only could identify with the villains, like Jafar. <laughs> that oh. Queenie Jafar from Aladdin. Oh I was like, I get it. I that's what I'm. I, or Captain Hook, or or Ursula from The Little Mermaid. The villains are sometimes really fabulous. Well, though. the villains I'm I think are spectacular. I was a big villain it's person. Showmanship. The, the villains are the interesting part of the story, but there was never a, obviously a same gender love story mm-hmm. ever being told. That so I had to learn it later. And that's changing though. It is so changing. Exciting. Which is I mean these books like that. we were just going over some of these Annie Platt shirts is about it's a good this is a great book about a girl who just wants to wear a plaid shirt and went to her to a family event and when she tries to put on the dress it doesn't feel right to her and she feels awkward and she's uncomfortable and her family is at first like wear the dress and then they see her for who she is and she's like no i need to rock a plaid shirt please right. and they make that happen well for little her. orphan annie i am sure was a lesbian because she <laughs> was amazing amazing character well and you pointed out you're you're looking at stories and longing for that relationship and a new book that we're very excited to have on our list is called the bravest night in the world yeah the bravest it? night that ever was i yes. i begged morgan i think we you fedexed it to your house and mm-hmm. I was like, you have to read this mm-hmm. book the author reached out to us after mm-hmm. seeing some of the work that we do, and we love this story. And it's because a it's a fantastic story, mm-hmm. and the character happens to be gay, but it is not. Right. It's not the focus of the book. The right. book it's is not a this coming is a out story. Yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why we so fell so hard in love yeah. with it. Yeah, well, J.K. Rowling said that Dumbledore was gay, but it's like, really? I no clue, never had a clue Dumbledore was gay and all that, but uh, it's nice to see them just kind of being out there now. Yeah. yeah. I did just get questioned by my eight-year-old yesterday because he heard that Elsa is supposed to be gay in Frozen 2. We saw it, but he said there wasn't enough. Like, he didn't really know. Is well, that... that's interesting. She doesn't have a male ca- counterpart, right? She's just... I haven't right. seen Frozen 2, by the way. But... It's really good. Okay. <laughs> Me neither, but I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah I didn't yeah. know that either, but yeah. there you go. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that's okay. That's our, This is all progress. This is really amazing. 
people are listening in cities all over the country. So if you were going to recommend to some moms or parents out there who have LGBT kids, how would you tell them to get started and where to get started? Sure. Well, come to our website, gendernation.org. We have not only the list of books that we donate to Southern California or to California public schools, but also just recommended titles. And this comes from recommendations from Gender Spectrum, from educators here in California, and from parents who've found these books and found them valuable reading them at home. Um, these books are out there. Thank God now this is very, becoming more, more being common. Written. Every day. I just got a preview copy from the guy who wrote the Harvey Milk book, mm. uh, and he just wrote Rob one on, on Pete Buttigieg, mm. and he wrote one on the first transgender um, uh, military guy from like the Civil War. I mean, he's they're, they're just constantly creating new content. That's it's really exciting. amazing. And publishers are doing it now, which is huge. Yeah. That is really amazing. We have run out of time, but I want to thank you both, Keiko Feldman, Morgan Walsh, for coming on the show. You're incredible mama bears. We're so proud to have you on our side. Thank you so much, John. <laughs> it's great to be here. Thank you for having us. Next week, gang, we'll have the end of the year. I've got Rance Collins, millennial entertainment expert, and Karen Oakham, lesbian journalist, joining me all two hours to wrap up 2019 year in review. We'll see you next week here on Channel Q.